Welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast. This is your host, Paul Jocelyn. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away from those topics and conversations, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark further conversation. Our hope uh, in this podcast is to address conversations with more nuance than we might be able to do in a 30-minute sermon. Um, And every new episode drops every other Monday morning. And we would love for this podcast just to be the start of the conversation. The things we talk about on here, we would love to see you uh, share with one another and engage uh, with us on social media as well. You can find us at Waterstone News on Twitter, Waterstone CC on Instagram, or Waterstone Community Church on Facebook. Today's podcast is a special conversation. Uh, we are joined by Nick Lillo, the founding pastor of Waterstone and current missions pastor, and we have a conversation about biblical justice. Now, there's a lot of conversation going on in our current context about what justice is and what justice looks like and what justice is supposed to be. We try to move a little bit above the fray of that conversation going on in our country and our society right now and really look at the biblical definition of justice and understand what God means when he calls the people of God to justice. So I hope this is a helpful conversation for you as you think and talk about some of the issues going on in our society. And mostly, we hope that you enjoy another episode of the Monday Morning Phone Call. All right, Nick. Well, thanks for jumping back on the Monday Morning Phone Call uh, with us and having a conversation with me today about biblical justice. Um, I think the the thing that I just want to start this conversation with is um, why we're having it is that there are over 2,000 verses in Scripture that deal with poverty and justice. Um, so it's a really, it's a main message of Scripture that I think is really important Definitely. for the church to talk about. So um, yeah, when you think of biblical justice, what's kind of the first thing that you think has to be addressed? Oh, wow, that's a big <laughs> question. It is interesting to me that that uh, you go to scripture and it's this huge issue, and we tend to miss it. Yeah, yep. Uh, I think some of that is because we spend so much of our time in the New Testament, and the word justice is used there, but not as often. The the Greek word for justice, dikao, uh, is often translated righteousness. And yeah, when we think of righteousness, we just think of personal righteousness. Yeah, it's personal piety. Personal piety, yeah. and actually. That's not uh, uh, the heart of what uh, righteousness is. It, it yeah. speaks, has more of a social dimension. So if that word was translated, we'd notice it more in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, you see it just all the time. But again, yeah. we don't spend a lot of time in the minor prophets. Right. It's not, not our favorite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's not a ton of daily devotionals that are like, no, hey, let's look at Amos. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Which is sad because uh, it doesn't give us a holistic picture Mm -hmm. of our faith and doesn't really help us understand how important justice is to God. Yeah. I mean, it's not a secondary issue. It's a primary issue for him in terms of his heart and his passion. Absolutely. He he cares about justice deeply, Mm -hmm. deeply. Yeah, it's. I would say that it, it's really important to have this conversation because it, it really is one of the main uh, mandates God has for the people of God, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And yes, um, there's agree. you know all sorts of verses like you just mentioned that talk about righteousness, but really uh, that word there. And I know we want to get into some of the words that talk about justice, but 
there's always a social component to yep. that. Um, it's not just this individual righteousness. Righteousness is being right with God and with others. Right, and, and those just, two are always connected. Exactly. You can't just be right with God and not right with yes, your neighbor. with your neighbor. Yes, that's, that's why it's interesting. In the New Testament, the greatest command is actually to love God and love people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus even says that is the foundation yeah. of all of the law. And yet we kind of. Uh, I'm kind of on this kick right now, looking at all the different ways we over-spiritualize things, but we tend to look at love your neighbors, like be kind to them and and share Jesus with them. And yes, but there's a lot of actions that go into that that we kind of miss sometimes. And a lot of that has to do with the justice of how we treat our neighbors. And I think the other thing that's happened in our faith, maybe we can come back to this if we talk more about the history, is we've so individualized and privatized our relationship with Jesus that we think, oh, I'm right with Jesus. I get to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. We miss, well, wait a second. There are all these social implications. It's not just about you and Jesus. It's about the kingdom and what Mm -hmm. God wants to do in this world in terms of redemption and in terms of making things right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And if we truncate or or shrink the gospel down to just me and Jesus and me and God, (laughs) then then we miss out on that. Yeah, yeah, we miss out on the commandment to, to love neighbor and yeah. what that means. So I know talking with you before about uh, justice and um, that way of living, one of the things that I've heard you say before is uh, biblical justice, which we would kind of differentiate from social justice. I think that can be a lightning rod word that people sure. can use in different ways. Sure. But talking about biblical justice specifically is so important because it's grounded in the idea of the Imago Dei. Right. Um, so could you just maybe unpack that a little bit for us? Why is that idea that we are created in the image of God's so central to this notion of biblical justice? Well, I think the notion of the Imago Dei or the image of God is central to all our ethics. It's the foundational Mm. principle from which all our ethics are built uh, from one perspective. And the image of God, what it does, uh, um, it, it is what places value in human beings. Mm. It's it's why people are intrinsically valuable mm-hmm. uh, and their value isn't related to their performance or their right. abilities or their intelligence. It, it's something deeper than that. Mm-hmm. It's that they bear the image of God on them. Mm. A- and that notion that every human being has intrinsic value uh, um, is how we develop our ethics. Yeah. So if that's true, then then I have to treat you uh, uh, and you have to treat me uh, as infinitesimally uh, valuable. And that's kind of the foundation for justice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I I think there are some other things that that play into that, this issue of justice. One is the purposes of God and the nature of God. I mean, the nature of God is that he mm-hmm. cares about justice because he cares about the image of God and people, but you also see in Scripture that he tends to care for those who are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. There's a special place in his heart for them. Yeah. And then I think, and we don't talk about this much, but the purposes of God. I mean, part of what God is doing is bringing about redemption of the whole yeah. creation. And that means making everything right. Mm-hmm. You know, in the prophets, it talks about letting justice roll down. What he's saying, I'm going to roll justice out. I'm going to make this place <laughs> the way it should have been. Yeah. And it should have been a place where everybody's rights mm-hmm. are, are granted, Absolutely. in a sense, observed and, and 
given value. Yeah. So, so I, I love that image too of, of justice rolling like streams of water because there's this image there of it washing away all of the injustice and the brokenness and yes. the way that the world is not supposed to be. And we sometimes miss, we think that God reconciling things and restoring things, uh, again, we can over-spiritualize that and we can say it's about me and my right. soul, uh, but no, it's about all of creation being reformed and remade to the way it was originally intended. And the main way God is doing that is through establishing his justice, his definitions right. of what it means to be righteous and whole and good. Um, I mean, even when we look at Christ's death on the cross, mm-hmm. we tend to make less of it than it is. We we tend to think, well, he died for sin, particularly my sin. Right. And he did die to forgive sin, but, but sin in the big context yeah. uh, uh, of the brokenness of the world, mm-hmm. that's what's being corrected and forgiven, yep. is the brokenness of all creation. And that includes my brokenness, Absolutely. my sin. Yep. Yeah. But, but there is something cosmic going on on the cross when Jesus is defeating death yep. and evil and Satan yeah. and sin. I, I mean, it, it's all the foundation for making the world a right place, mm-hmm. how God intended it to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Which affects the the systems and the structures of this world. And I, I love in, mm-hmm. in Leviticus, the way it talks about sin, so often in the atonement and how God is dealing with sin in the world, is that sin is, is not just this personal decision we make, but it's actually this contaminant that touches all of creation. And it's tainted everything from just creation itself intrinsically is now crying out because it's it's tainted by this contaminant. Um, our hearts, our souls, our lives are contaminated. But then that also affects the systems and structures that right. we build. And not just because it's made up of sinful people, but those systems are inherently not um, the biblical design for how yeah. God wants the world to operate. And so you have, when we talk about justice, it has to, to touch all three of those things, creation, the individual, and the systems and the system. that are created Yeah, that's in the why world. I like the, the metaphor of brokenness. Mm-hmm. I'm broken. Yeah. The community's broken. Yes. Institution, everything's broken. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> and, and on the cross, Jesus is bringing healing yep. to everything. Absolutely, yeah. And the, I, I tend to think of it, too, in terms of, of all of those systems, they can still work, they can still function, they can bring about good, but they're... They're crippled inherently. Yes. They can't Cripples function and run the way that they were, they might be able to if God's justice and his rule and reign was established. Yeah, all, so. Everything's tainted. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Which sucks. <laughs> um, it does. Yeah. Might be good to talk about the words, though. Yeah, let's jump into that. So often, uh, you know, to, and it's interesting, not just one word. Oftentimes, mishpat is the central word mm-hmm. for justice in the Old Testament. But so often when you find mishpat, you find a second word, zadikah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those two words work together to give that holistic picture. Mm-hmm. Of what justice looks like. So what, how would you maybe define those words? Let's start with uh, mishpat. Um, I know I have a couple definitions that, that I like to work with, but what what have those typically been defined as in your experience? Yeah, I, well, I, how I understand mishpat from my study is that its basic meaning is the notion of treating other people correctly, equitably, rightly, fairly. Hmm. It, it, at its heart, it's this idea that you give people their rights and what is due them. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And I think often we see that played out in kind of a um, justice system. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do something wrong, uh, um, that has to get punishment to make things right. Right. And it does have that, what we call... Rid- um, 
Retributive justice. Yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. I'm there. <laughs> Retributive yeah. justice. Yep. Uh, um, so it does mean that, but but what we often then miss is that it has a broader concept uh, than that uh, of giving people their rights, even when things aren't necessary. I didn't do something wrong to them, so that has to be repaid. Yeah. But in a broader sense of making an equitable community, an yeah. equitable so- society. Yeah. Um, I, I like to think of mishpat as as restorative justice. So if there's a that's wrong good. that's been done, that has to be rectified, and so there might involve some sort of punishment or repayment um, to restore relationship, but then it's also caring for the victim. So it's not just concerned yeah. with punishing the the evil or the wrong person. It's also concerned with lifting those who have experienced some sort of victimization um, in some way, experiencing right. evil and injustice. So. I think the other thing that sometimes happens with that word is we, we take it as we have this responsibility to be just people. So mm-hmm. I'm going to live justly. I'm going to treat other people rightly in my sphere. Yeah, and it obviously means that we're to be just people, but we sometimes miss the application that we're also to be an advocate for yeah, justice for other right. people. Yep, I may treat everybody in my world correctly, but that's not the full extent of the obligation. Yeah. What it means to be a just person, mm-hmm. I have to make sure other people treat other people right. Yeah, <laughs> ju- yeah. justly. Yep. So there's really this sense of advocacy, of, of seeking the common good, of seeking justice for everyone mm-hmm. that's inherent to our calling to live as biblical people. Yeah. This is not an optional thing we, we can do if we want. Yep. It's something we're called to do yep. Absolutely. Uh, as followers of Christ. Yeah, no. and I think you know uh, uh, maybe a contextualization that might be helpful for people is that I think in some ways the, the American experience of, of democracy in that experiment at its core, that's its desires, is all people have these inalienable rights, these mm-hmm. these things that have been endowed to them by God. And and so the structures, the systems are, are supposed to function to try to bring that. We fail all the time and don't, don't see that come about. But that's the desire. And I think that's kind of what Mishpat gets at, is that there's this um, inalienable right that everyone who's created in the image of God deserves to be treated with equity. Um, with equity and equality and kindness and yeah, that's kind of maybe a contextualization that might help some people. Yeah, I think that's good. I think sometimes what pushes against that in our culture is our focus on individualism. That's fair. Yeah, uh, um, that we don't see justice as part of the community. That the individual has to yes to, to maintain that justice for themselves rather than a focus being on the community has to be a just community. That's a great point. And I, I think the second word that oftentimes goes with with mishpat, zadika, mm-hmm. gets to that issue. And, and it's, it's a word that, that talks about um, right relationship. It has much more of a relational bent to mm-hmm. it. Uh, it's to, to live justly in the sense of community and yep. My relationship with everybody around me is supposed to be just. Yeah, and I think this is where the sometimes we get the idea of social justice. Yep, uh, um, that people sometimes react to, but but it really is a reflection of a biblical term. Mm-hmm. Mishpat and Zadikah are paired together over two hundred times in the Old Testament. Right. Yeah, <laughs> because they play on each other. Yep, I'm to look out for the rights of others, and we're to be this community of righteousness, there's to be a, a kind of social justice or yep. community justice, and maybe that would be a better way to, to talk about it, community justice that we're striving to bring about 
in our relationships and in our community. Yeah, yeah. And I think a way that I kind of distinguish those two terms is mishpat is often, like we said, it's setting things right that have, have gone wrong. Sedekai, uh, uh, in a way, is more, if this behavior exists, then there's nothing to set right. If, if we exist in this space, mm-hmm. um, then there's not necessarily a need to advocate or a need to rectify because everyone is functioning under um, the rule and reign of God the way things are supposed to be. So that's kind of the ideal where... The um, ideal or the goal. Yeah, of how we're supposed to, to exist. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I've, I've distinguished the two. Um, but you're right. It always has to do with the context of relationship. Um, and I think what's fascinating is that the biblical uh, mandate for that in that communal relationship of what justice is supposed to look like is that it puts the responsibility on everyone. And so yes. um, one of the things, the way as I think of this is we often tend to think, okay, if someone's poor, then it's because they made a bad decision, they did something they weren't supposed to, and so they're reaping the consequences of that. Um, and they're... Their poverty is somehow attributed to their failure. The biblical mandate, and this makes us really uncomfortable, is that if there are poor among you, then it's a failure of the social. community. Yeah, it's a it's a, re- a social reality and the responsibility of the community to lift that person. And so yeah. it's not and their decision only, but no. we share responsibility. And there's a tension there. Absolutely. Think, uh, yep. You see that somewhat in the Proverbs and other places. Yes. Um, that my individual decisions or my laziness can add to bad consequences in my life. But it's not a one-to-one correspondence. Mm -hmm. It's not a black and white issue. Um, There are people who are poor who who haven't made bad decisions, Mm -hmm. who are not lazy. Um, Think of Jesus as one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't think we want to go there that Jesus was poor because of... (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So so it's it's complicated. Mm -hmm. and I think the other thing that's interesting when you begin looking at those two words, mishpat, zadikah, how often they're used uh, in relationship to what's called the quartet of the vulnerable. Yeah, yep. In other words, there are categories of people uh, that stand out in God's heart and in his mind who need special focus because they're so often the victims of injustice. Mm-hmm. And those would be the widow, mm-hmm. the orphan, the poor. And the immigrant or the foreigner. Yeah. Um, and those people are in dire circumstances, not necessarily because of decisions that mm-hmm. they've made. It's somewhat the circumstance. And God seems to have a special place in his heart yeah. for, for that group. Yeah. And why? So I think that's so important. Um, why those four? Uh, that's yeah, the question, question I think people have, right? Is so. What is it about the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor uh, that you know they take this special place in God's heart? That He is especially concerned for for those four. So I, I think you see some of that with the notion that they're all vulnerable. Mm, mm-hmm. The question, though, is really why are they vulnerable? Right. Yeah. And I think all four of those groups uh, don't have family or a community as a support system around mm-hmm. them necessarily and don't have means or access to to means of production or to Mm -hmm. land. Mm -hmm. So the orphan has lost his protection of his father, his family, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't own land, so he can't support himself. Same with the widow and the poor. Again, the same thing. And then the immigrant doesn't have community or or land. So that puts them in a position where they're easily taken advantage Mm -hmm. of. Yep. Yeah, and it seems in Scripture that God wants us to step up for those people yeah. that that can be mistreated easily. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to know that those four are are very specific to the the context of in which scripture was written, right? So it's an agrarian society. Yes. It's a society that's patriarchal. And so everything um, depends on having land and being able to produce and being able to take care of your family. And the way that land passes is through male headship. And so if you're a <laughs> yeah, widow and you're not... Yeah, that's good. Yeah, right? If you're a widow and you're not married, then all of a sudden you don't have access to those things. And if you're an orphan and, and your father has passed, then you the system begins to break down. And so um, when you look at these weird laws that are in Deuteronomy and Leviticus that make no sense to us, many of them are set up to make sure that those people who would be disadvantaged in that system are actually taken yeah. care of and don't experience um, disadvantage. So, And that begs the question, so who are those people? Right, today. <laughs> today. Yep. It's probably a much larger list than simply those four. Yeah, absolutely. So if you wanted to kind of expand that, where so let's take, uh, for instance, um, disabled or, yeah. or people with special needs. How would they fit into to maybe those four categories? Where would you see that? Yeah, I, I think they have a special place in God's heart. I think as a community, we have a responsibility to care for them. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a great challenge for us because oftentimes we want to put those people to the side mm-hmm. or they make us uncomfortable so we don't want to deal with mm-hmm. them. Uh, the truth is we need to. And the reason they're valuable is because that image of God yeah. is in them, whether they're, they're uh, special needs or not special needs. Yep. They still bear the image of God. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're a great example. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important. And I think sometimes we can get on this slippery slope in our culture where people's worth or value is uh, tied to their production right. or their ability to contribute to the common good. And Scripture really has, you know, it's uncomfortable with that kind of language that it doesn't matter what someone can necessarily contribute to society, um, even those who are, are disabled or who have experienced injustice and oppression and, and aren't able to contribute in the same ways, um, they're all still supposed to be taken care of by the community of God. And um, I think some of God's harshest words of judgment are when the community of God uh, is not taken care of or worse, is taking advantage of right. those people. And he says, this is not not how I had established my people to operate in the world. And um, that's really where where some of the the quick judgment comes from. Yeah. I I think that same thing applies to ethnicity and race Mm. as well. You know, Mm -hmm. if we're going to live out the ethic that your values depend on on the image of God in you, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter whether you're white, black, Hispanic, the color of your skin, uh, the origin of your nationality, uh, what country you're from, uh, or your your age. Yeah, I mean, we we tend to not take care of the elderly in our, yeah, our world as well. Yep. They're another vulnerable, absolutely uh, population. And again, all those uh, everywhere the image of God is, mm-hmm. we have an obligation, and justice comes into yeah, play. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that's those groups that you just mentioned. So, like the uh, the elderly, I think you could put them under that category of, of mm-hmm. widow. It's a similar in our culture. Yeah, exactly. Back then, the, you would never even think that you needed to right. take care of the elderly because yeah. it was communal. It was assumed the patriarch. Yep. Was obviously taken care of. Yeah, exactly. That's why they had kids. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, similarly with the, uh, 
um, with the issue of race that we see going on in our world today, I think you can draw a corollary to the the mandates for the foreigner and the immigrant and um, people that are of different ethnicities. And it's interesting, you know, God says uh, to take special care of the foreigner among you. He doesn't say, ask the question of why they're there or what they've done or, you know, how they've maybe uh, come to be among you. It says, take care of them because they are in a situation um, of vulnerability. And so sometimes we try to find these loopholes for reasons why we don't have to. Or or it gets hidden by our language. Like Mm. in the New Testament, we come across the notion of hospitality. Yeah. Well, that's taking care of strangers. Well, the stranger they're taking care of are foreigners. Right. So we think, oh, I'm supposed to be nice to the other people in church and in my neighborhood, (laughs) (laughs) which you should be. Yeah, that's that's great. That's that's great. (laughs) But it it, it reaches beyond that. We're to love the other, especially those who are different than us. Yes, absolutely. And that's the mandate uh, of being hospitable. Absolutely. And again, that's where that image of God, it's so yeah. central to our ethics is that um, it doesn't matter what nationality or creed or race or, or whatever categories we might try to come up with to divide. If the image of God is present, then there is a scriptural mandate to make sure justice is yeah. taking place. Yeah, and you, you see that in scripture, the goal of humanity is uh, one, this this culmination where every nation Every people, every tribe is brought together, and they're all treated equally before God. Yep. Uh, um, you know, God, whether we like it or not, God is a bit of a globalist. <laughs> he is, yeah. I think that's Especially fair to say. Especially in his love for people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that love isn't determined by by borders and yep. nationalities and race. Yeah. And I think because we're citizens of heaven, that needs to be true in us and true of the value system that we live out. Absolutely. And people should see that. Yep. No, I totally agree. So which then I think takes us to the the next question people ask when you have this question. Okay, so the biblical mandate is to be just, um, you know, socially and um, what do the people of God do then? What does that look like? And I'd like to throw a hypothetical uh, question to you. So this is a definition that I've seen of biblical justice and what it means to be biblical just. And I just would like to get your reaction to see if you agree with this or because I think it makes us a little uncomfortable and I'm not sure how I feel about it. But biblically, the just, the people who who um, are just, are the people who uh, are those willing to disadvantage themselves uh, to the advantage of the community and biblically, the wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that definition. <laughs> okay. I, th- I think you get that from Keller. It is he, Keller, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know well, if you saw recently. He's gotten some, taken some heat for talking about some of this. People oh, are upset at him. But. Well, the, be- the best book out there is on this issue of justice is Generous Justice mm-hmm. by, by Keller. And yeah. Um, he, he's actually quoting a, a Hebrew scholar yep. when, when he gives that. But I think one great example mm-hmm. in the Old Testament is how Job lived. Mm. Yep. Um, his his friends are telling him, you've sinned, Job. You haven't lived right. Re- Correctly. Yep. In fact, you haven't been holy. Yeah. And, and Job comes back and he says, "No, I, I have lived a holy life." Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing he he gives as a description of his holiness is how he treats others. I'm going to yeah. read from Job 29. Um, here's Job's description, and, and he, it's basically what you're saying. He's disadvantaging mm-hmm. himself to advantage others. He's been blessed to be a, a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I like it. 
he, he writes in Job 29.12 says, I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed, blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness. There's that word zadikah. Yeah. As my clothing, justice, which is mishpat, was my robe and my turban. In other mm. words, this isn't just something he did occasionally. This was his clothing. This mm. was a characteristic of his life. Mm. It was a lifestyle. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame, and I was a father to the needy. Mm. I took up the cro- the case of the strange stranger, that's the immigrant, yeah. the foreigner. I broke the fangs of the wicked and I snatched the victims from their teeth. Mm. Fascinating to me that that's how Job understood holiness yeah. and righteousness. Yep. Uh, he was a wealthy man and he realized that his wealth was to be used for the sake of others. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fascinating because you see the quartet and the vulnerable um, in, in there. there. All, all, all four of them, them are listed. Yeah. Um, and the other fascinating thing I think is that that last line that is that he also rescues um, the the ones who will be taken advantage of by the wicked. And so there again is that idea of advocacy that it's not just how he treats them, but there's also uh, this call to push against and to, to speak out and to advocate yes. and to, to stand yeah, up against right. The, the people who would take advantage of the vulnerable. Here's the bottom line, and I'm going to push hard on this. Yeah. At the core ethic of our faith mm-hmm. is this notion that we're to love God and we're to love others. Mm-hmm. And Jesus includes in the others our enemies. Mm-hmm. And the notion of loving others is this willingness to disadvantage myself mm-hmm. so others could be yeah. advantaged. And if that bothers you, then you have a problem with what Jesus did because mm-hmm. the core model of this love for others is mm-hmm. Jesus giving up his deity and his position in heaven, coming to earth and yeah. sacrificing himself, disadvantaging himself yeah. for our advantage. Right. That's yeah. the core ethic. So anytime in our values or our politics mm-hmm. or our interactions with others or the positions we take, we violate that ethic yeah. We're out of line, and mm. we're not following Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. so people are pushing back on that notion. I just want to say, you're wrong. Mm. That is the New Testament ethic. You mm. disadvantage yourself for the sake of others. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. We're to imitate Christ. That's what we're called to do. Yeah, yeah. I think well said, well spoken, and I think that um, that is so difficult in our context because our culture, our society is all about winning. It's set up to try, you got to win. You got to try to advantage yourself and win at all costs. And, um, it can produce, uh, some, some great things, but if we don't leverage those blessings or those privileges that we've gained and achieved and, and been given, uh, by God for those who are vulnerable, who the system maybe isn't working for, then we have an issue um, with God in a, in a yeah. big way. And I think that's sometimes what we miss is that part of the, the motivation to live lives of justice comes out of our understanding of God's heart. Yeah. Yep. I, I love Psalm 146 because it talks about God's orientation mm-hmm. towards this issue. It says there that he executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. Mm. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who li- mm-hmm. live justly. Mm. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless 
and the widow, and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Mm. That's mm. his heart. Yeah. And as followers of Jesus, that has to be our heart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, you know, if that's God's heart, and I think that ties into a lot of the language you see picked up in the New Testament about reconciliation and the yep. renewal of all things, and that's God's heart is to restore things to the way uh, they were intended to be, again, beyond just our individual hearts. But so... I guess then the question becomes for a lot of people, how have we missed this? If it's mentioned over <laughs> 2,000 times in Scripture, uh, if it's so prevalent in Jesus' life and his teachings, if it's foundational to who he was and how he lived, I mean, you can think of Luke 4, the first proclamation he makes is that he has come to free the captive and protect those who are vulnerable. And he reads this passage from Isaiah and says, I am fulfilling that in your presence. And people are, are blown away. I mean, it's so foundational. Seek first the kingdom and God's justice. That's what that verse says. So, yeah, the word is mis- righteous right. yep. is how we typically say yeah. it. seek God, the kingdom and his righteousness. But the word there is dakao, justice. Yes. So seek, seek the kingdom and his justice. Yeah. So how have we gone wrong? How have we missed this? <laughs> and I know uh, there's, a, there's a lot of history and there's a lot of ways we could answer that question, but just you know, briefly, let's have that conversation. How have we missed the this? The first thing I would say, some of this is rooted in history, but the first yeah. thing I would say is we don't read our Bibles. Well. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we, we read our Bibles better, mm. if we read the minor prophets if we studied them, mm-hmm. if we had a better understanding of that perspective and the big picture of what God mm-hmm. is doing, it, it would change mm-hmm. our hearts. And so I would ground it, first of all, in the scriptures yeah. themselves. Yep. But I think there are some things historically that have pushed us away of this focus on justice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, back in the 1800s, there was quite a bit of focus on justice, you didn't, yep. you didn't get uh, this notion of personal salvation and justice being two separate things. Mm-hmm. That if you were a follower of Jesus, that meant you had a personal relationship with Him, mm-hmm. but it also meant that then you lived a life of justice. So that's why Christians were involved in the abolition movement and mm-hmm. in child labor laws, in the development of hospitals, yeah. and the development of education. I mean. Uh, social justice wasn't a, a bad term yeah. uh, back then. But right. in the 1930s, um, there's what's called the modernist fundamentalist controversy. Yep. And a uh, group of people began to be liberal in their theology, questioning uh, the authority of scripture, questioning mm-hmm. the deity of Christ, questioning the supernatural. Yeah, And so they shifted and began just to focus on issues of justice Mm -hmm. and left out the personal salvation piece. And in reaction to that, you had the development of the fundamental movement, Mm -hmm. which focused primarily on personal salvation. And you get this split. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, So that's where you get this beginning of this notion that social justice, oh, that's bad. We shouldn't give energy to that. Yeah. Um, and you see that conversation play out today. People will begin to speak about social justice and people will say, well, you're neglecting the gospel. You're not preaching yeah. that Jesus has, has come to, to you know die for your sins. And then on the other side, you'll have people who are, are proclaiming justice and, and calling out others saying, you're just caring about people's souls yeah. and not their physical well-being and their common good. And, and so we still have that That's schism split. today. And I always like to talk about it as two wings of a plane. Yeah. One I is like that the, the personal salvation. Mm-hmm. Jesus died 
so I could be with him. That's yeah. really true. Yeah. But the social implications of that is the other wing of the plane. Yeah. I always ask people, so so uh, which one don't you want to have? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And, and some of that um, gets back to our understanding of the gospel and our theology. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that has impacted is uh, what's called dispensationalism. Yeah. I think that's an important and, term. I, I think most Christians today are unintentional dispensationalists mm-hmm. because of the pop theology, the notion the books have left behind, right. and Jesus' second coming, and all of that. And where you stand on that isn't the issue, but there was one piece in that theology that I think was detrimental to mm-hmm. our living out the call of justice, and that was this notion that this world's going to be destroyed. Right. Uh, so, so there was a time where... We, People thought the world was going to get better and better and better and issue in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And World War One came and World War Two came. <laughs> and the Cold War. Yeah. And, yeah. Vietnam. So people <laughs> kind of changed their theology right. from this evolutionary coming of the kingdom to a, an escapism. Mm-hmm. You know, God's going to come back, we escape out of here, and the world's destroyed. Yeah. In fact, when I was in Bible college, I had a prof tell me, you know, you don't you don't try to improve the world. You don't polish the brass on a right. sinking ship. Right. This yeah. world's going to be destroyed. Nothing you do in this world matters. Well, that's just wrong. Right. It's and just, depressing. <laughs> oh, it's depressing. <laughs> yeah. and, and bad theology. Yeah. This world is remade, yeah. renewed. Yeah. Uh, uh, judged and purified, but there's a continuity between this mm-hmm. world and the world to come. And if that's true, then then I should care about the environment. I should care about the poor. Yeah. I should care about making institutions right. That's that's part of the purposes of God in bringing about His kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. And because I think what happens is if if the world is just going to be burned up and destroyed and, and finished, then all you have to do is make sure everybody gets on the lifeboat right. before the ship goes lifeboat down. Lifeboat theology. Um, and that is not what Jesus taught. That's not what Scripture no, that, well, that's not, It's just what you talked about yesterday, Paul. That's not the gospel. Right. right? Yeah. The gospel isn't Jesus died for my sins. I get to invite him into my life through a little prayer and get to go to heaven. Right, so I can escape. That's how we framed Mm -hmm. the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, Mm -hmm. has been declared king and he's redeemed the world and us. And yes, we get forgiveness and all those things because of that. But that gospel of him being king gives us a very different agenda. It's not just about Mm -hmm. me. It's about what he's doing in the world and his kingdom. Absolutely. And the moment I get to that point of the notion of the kingdom, if I'm to seek his kingdom and his justice, then justice becomes a mandate. Yeah. And we've so personalized, privatized, and individualized (laughs) the notion of the gospel that we've left that out. Right. We're only telling people half the story. Yeah, exactly. And I think the the real um, challenge with that is then people are left wondering, well, what is my place? And what is my, how does my work matter? And how does my feeding the homeless or like, what's the point of those things when, when all of those things are kingdom actions that are establishing God's rule and reign here and now, um, and that do carry over into yeah. the new heavens and new earth when things are restored. And we, it's so sad because we've come to this place where we just, it's, it's a throwaway theology and that we just think God's throwing away so much of his creation that he mm-hmm. declared good. And we're missing out on, on the fact that God did declare this world good and that it is broken. It is tainted, as we mentioned before, 
but his work is is about polishing that and renewing um, it, it's funny what your professor said is actually what God is doing. He is polishing the ship. Um, and it's, it ain't sinking, sinking. it's not sinking. It's going to be remade. Yeah. And so when we miss that, um, we really miss the heart of God, right. uh, as we talked about earlier. And it's sad in one sense. When we shrink the gospel, it makes for a very small story that we're it part does, of. In yeah. other words, if all the gospel is about my personal salvation, then the only thing I can do to have mm-hmm. meaning in my life is to share that gospel that one truth with others. Yeah. And we should do that. But yeah, the story absolutely. we're part of is so much bigger than mm-hmm. that. The calling we have on our lives and what God is doing in the world is so much bigger right. than simply getting people on the lifeboat. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is this challenge to redeem, be part of the story of redemption. Now, mm-hmm. ultimately, God's going to redeem it through this cataclysmic event at the absolutely. end of time. But how I participate in that now is to work towards that. And mm-hmm. all that I do in working towards that has meaning and significance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to go back to your illustration for the the two wings of the plane, I think that's so important because what we miss is that if we proclaim that Jesus has died for you and, and so you can be forgiven, but we don't feed you when you're hungry, you can't receive that message to begin with. And so they have to coincide. Right. And for so long in church history, they did. Um, you know, Larry talks about a lot the plagues and how the Christians were the right. ones who went into the places people were dying and proclaimed, yes, that Jesus is Savior, but also that he is Lord, and that's the reason why they entered those spaces. And so there's always been this um, partnership between um, soci- like the social... Uh, that's awesome. Sorry about <laughs> no, that. That's great. Supposed to turn um, those things off. <laughs> there, there's always been this uh, partnership historically between um, social justice and evangelism. And we've separated them in this uh, schism where really they they should complement one another to proclaim the good news um, that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And when we miss that, um, the world really misses out, I think. Well, the world misses out. And I, again, you were talking about this Sunday. Um, we have this great story to share with people. Mm about this challenge to make the world a different place because of what Jesus has done. And we can become a part of that. And that gospel, I think, generates incredible interest. Yeah. Uh, um, When we shrink the gospel to, well, Jesus died so you can go to heaven and forgive your sins, eh, okay, I'm not sure that's relevant to me. Yeah, yep. But being part of this grand story Mm -hmm. of of creating uh, the new thing, the new heavens and the new earth, being part of that, that I think is intriguing. Mm-hmm. And people want to hear that and want to be part of that. I think so. And that ironically even ties back to the idea of the Imago Dei and that yes. we created it in God's image. Because one of the, the ideas behind the, the Imago Dei is that we're God's representatives. Right. We we look like him in creation and represent him into creation. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it, it really kind of comes full circle there. The whole story of scripture, this remake, um, ties back to the beginning in this garden where, where God establishes us as his people who represent him to the world, um, which I think yeah. we unfortunately miss out on. Good so, stuff. One uh, last quote. So this is, uh, I think this is a really inspiring uh, quote from Mark Young in, in an article. Uh, he's the professor, or I'm sorry, president of Denver Seminary. Um, and this article was called All Things New. Um, and I would just love to get uh, a quick response on it as we wrap up. Uh, but this is what uh, Dr. Young says. Imagine how it would change us if we thought of ourselves not just as the people of God, but of the people of God's mission, moving redemptively toward a broken world, compelled by, uh, um, 
by love that seeks the good of others above our own, willing to pay whatever price is necessary for others to experience God's rescue and restoration, and certain that no matter how much it seems that evil, sin, and death have the upper hand today, the completion of God's mission and justice is certain. Yeah. I think that's a great articulation of what it means to seek the kingdom and his, yeah. his righteousness, his justice. Absolutely. And that's to be the priority of our lives. Yeah. yeah it's great. And may that be true of Waterstone. Thanks once again for listening to another episode of Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast. We hope that this show will spark further conversation uh, with you and your friends and your family, and we would love to see you share this episode as well. You can join us on Instagram or Twitter to continue this conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. If something we said uh, upset you or encouraged you, we would love to hear that if it caused you to think something in a different way as well. Uh, This podcast is hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and today's show is edited and mixed by Phil Nelson. Produced by Emily Kloss, and the graphic was designed by Lane Gerking. Special thanks again to Nick Lillo for joining us and jumping on the Monday morning phone call. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.